You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. The force is strong in this one, and that's why we're warning you that this episode contains spoilers, folks, big spoilers. For the first three episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, some discussion about the Darth Vader, the 2017 Darth Vader comic, some other uh, Star Wars comics, and uh, some Legends lore also, plus theories for the rest of the show, uh, minor spoilers for Star Wars Rebels and The Mandalorian, so be warned, this is a big, big, big Star Wars conversation coming up next. And welcome to a, a fully Star Wars edition of X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Media Podcast, where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. In today's episode, Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, we're talking Star Wars, and all the stuff, all the news which we're going to run by, to be fair, from Star Wars mm -hmm. uh, Celebration, including uh, snippets from The Mandalorian, reveals about Andor, uh, Jedi Survivor, the sequel to Jedi Fallen Order, uh, the Ahsoka trailer, all that stuff we're going to talk about. We're going to speed by it because we're going to dive deep into Obi-Wan Kenobi parts one, two, and three, mostly two and three, but we're going to dive deep into it. We're going to talk about all the stuff because there's, folks, there's so much to talk about. In our nerd out section, a listener pitches is on the three body problem by Lu Jin. And if, of course, if you want to jump around, check out the timestamps in our show notes. I'll have all the details about uh, all the topics that we talk about. And of course, joining me now to talk about all the things involved in Star Wars is the number one comics encyclopedia, uh, the person who knows about legends, unlike <laughs> myself. She's the great. She's the powerful. Rosie Knight. Rosie, how are you? Hello, it's me. I'm feeling so much better. I'm so happy to be here. Yes. yes. It's like anytime, if it's not comics, it's like anytime that there's something that other people probably don't care about. Rosie knows it. It's like <laughs> legends. It's like, guess what? She knows everything about an Ewok or Savage Press. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> and this oh, is, I have to say, is going to be a, a Legends-heavy episode. <laughs> so let's get into it, folks. Star Wars Celebration was held over Memorial Day weekend over in Anaheim. And let's dive into uh, some of the announcements. Uh, we'll probably dive into these in a more uh, detail-oriented way at a later date. But let's kind of run through the highlights now. Starting with, oh gosh, let's start with the Star Wars Jedi Survivor trailer. This is, of course, the sequel to 2019's Jedi Fallen Order, a game that is harder than you expect it to be when you start playing it. Uh, the mm -hmm. game that introduced us to uh, Cal Kestis, 
um, the uh, only partially trained Jedi acolyte on the run from the Inquisitors. They do a bang-up job of trying to get him. Uh, more on that later. Uh, and of course, introduces us also to his wonderful droid buddy, BD-1. BD-1, who I absolutely BD-1. love. BD-1! I love a two-legged robot. Uh, and Adore. Uh, this trailer looks great. Adore I can't wait guy. to play it. I love Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, it it gave us a lot of background on on the Inquisitors, uh, something that is uh, very relevant right now, uh, and I and I'm excited for this. Your thoughts, Rosie? Yeah, same. I also think this is this is like one of the things that was a stealth and highly anticipated thing going into this. Like this was the one where even like Chris had said it. Like multiple people were like, "I know everything's going to be happening with TV and film, but." I want to know if we're getting a sequel. Like, what's the info? We haven't heard about it for a long time. Here's the trailer. So, yeah, no, I'm stoked. I love BD-1. I love droids. We got a Bad Batch uh, Season 2 trailer. It is returning the fall. Our our good friends mm-hmm. have a new look with some new armor. And, uh, folks, this series will feature appearances from Emperor Palpatine, our good friend Palpy who is, of course, terrorizing the galaxy at this particular time in galactic history. Shocking. Uh, Our good friend Commander Cody. And the big news, the big, big news, (laughs) Surviving Order 66, folks. You know him from the Clone Wars. It's young Wookiee Jedi in training sensation. The youngling Gunji has made it. He survived. Wow. This is exactly what I care about. Absolutely. This is like the biggest news from Star Wars Celebration yes. to me. I'm like a number one Lumpy stan. I love Lumpy. Uh, yeah. If you've never, just Google Lumpy yeah. and you'll see why I love him. <laughs> so Gunji is like the, that's like the spiritual successor to the Lumpy throne. So I am incredibly excited about this. I also feel like his inclusion specifically and kind of, where it it is a hint of where the Star Wars shows are going, Obi-Wan included, which is this very deep-seated interest in the younglings and in Padawans. And and that is like so... that and, And there was other things that they hinted with that, you know, like I think... There was like a kid's show that they're doing called um, Young Jedi Adventures, which kind of sounds almost like Young Jedi Academy, which is a big Legends book. I think that they're really interested in this very underspoken about in canon part of the Star Wars lore, which is these kids who are taken away from their families to become Jedi. And what does that mean? And I, I'm really excited because I think that's a, that's a very fertile ground for kind of emotional and fun and epic Star Wars storytelling. I couldn't agree more. And you are exactly right. We are exploring in detail the events surrounding Order 66 from different perspectives, which is, of mm-hmm. course, like this a massive tectonic shift in galactic history. And it's been really interesting to watch. And, of course, that theme continues uh, in Obi-Wan Kenobi. Up next, uh, we get a trailer for Andor, uh, which premieres August 31st. A uh, show run by Rogue One writer uh, Tony Gilroy. Uh, Tony Gilroy, the script-saving icon. They're always bringing him in. The script-saving icon (laughs) uh, of Rogue One. If you catch me on the right day, Rogue One is my favorite Star Wars movie. Um, Oh, man. It it will... uh, I'll never forget. I I, I just watched it, by the way. I watched it over the weekend because I'm like, I want to watch it again. It tells the story of uh, Diego Luna's Cassian Andor, the the, uh, kind of like morally gray 
but very dedicated rebel spy who uh, is, of course, one of the heroes involved in stealing the Death Star plans. This trailer just looks great. I don't know what it's going to be about, but it looks really good. Yeah, it looks so good. And something I think is very interesting that I would really love to see this dig into more and I think is one of the strengths of Rogue One, which also is very high up on my list and sometimes hits number one. Rogue One did a really brilliant job of talking about the wreckage and horrors wrought by both the rebellion, higher echelons of the rebellion and the empire and kind of like that really deep truth of who were the people who got the medals at the end of the Star Wars trilogy and who were the people who died so that that could happen. And this trailer seems to be leaning into that notion of the Empire sucks, but who are these people in charge who are leaving this to these young fighters, to these people who have to grovel and beg? And and I'm really interested. I love that socioeconomic aspect of of Star Wars. And I, I think this era... As you know, they got into it in the Last Jedi. They're pe- both people sell and buy the weapons, you know. And I, I'm I'm very interested to see where it goes because that was the main takeaway from this trailer. Was kind of like I felt like they were hinting that we were going to see this kind of underclass who had allowed the rebellion to become what they are. I mean, that's what so fascinates me about Rogue One. One of the things mm-hmm. is this idea that you know a character like Saw Gerrera who, mm-hmm. you know, if you, it, you can easily frame him as someone who went too far as a terrorist even. On the other hand, he was kind of right about everything, about the nature of the empire, and he was right early before anybody else was even thinking that way. And ultimately, you kind of needed a figure like that, paranoid maybe, willing to act when no one else was in order to spark the thing that would end up being the rebellion. And and I love exploring those spaces. I just love exploring yeah. that side of it, you know? Absolutely. Especially, you know, it goes back to that conversation from like one of the most iconic fan conversations in Kevin Smith's Clerks, right? What they do, what the rebellion do, what Luke does, they... They blow up the Death Star. They kill so many people. They commit terrorism that, well, it could be argued it was terrorism in under the guise of it's war, It's a chopper, right? a chopper how, level body count. <laughs> yeah. Like, how is that different to yes. what Saw is? Saw's version is just unsanctioned, right? Right, right. So Saw, Saw didn't ask permission. He just went exactly. and did it. Yeah. And I, I find that to be a very interesting space. And Star yeah, Wars has same. always been about the politics. It's always been about the bureaucracy, how it works, how it happens. And I love that we're now in an era where we're seeing that from a street level, yeah. not just from a a galactic Senate level. So very, very excited about this and very, very excited about the uh, our first look at the Ahsoka series. This, of course, building off of Ahsoka's appearances in uh, Mando and the Book of Boba Fett. Uh, after uh, months and months and months of rumor, we have uh, uh, casting news with Natasha Lou Berdizzo, Australian actress, is going to uh, play Rebels ghost stalwart Sabine Wren. Um, we can expect a live-action Harrison Dula, uh, one of my favorite oh my captains God. of any ship in <laughs> Star Wars history. And again, if you, if you come to me on the right day, 
Uh, that is my Star Wars wife. Uh, oh, we, we see. I love Hera. <laughs> I love And I also, love- like, can I just say that this also means, speaking of legends, this also means that we might get a live action version of her son, Jason. <sighs> and his name is like, I remember watching, I wrote about those last two episodes at Slash Film with a colleague of mine. And we just, that was like our biggest freak out. Everything that those last two episodes of Rebels are probably my favorite TV of all time. Oh, it's so good. Like the world beyond worlds. It it changed my life. I still can't believe they haven't built it further into the live action. World Beyond World Worlds did more maybe than anything, you know, post legends in terms of expanding our perception of what the force is, how it mm-hmm. interacts with living creatures. Uh, yeah. just an incredible episode of Star Wars television. And you know, I'm, you know, Rebels is my favorite Star Wars. I think that in terms of like yeah. a run of Star Wars stories, it's my favorite. Because, you know, it's season so two good. on is like incredible. The Inquisitors, again, incompetent. They can't catch anybody. They can't catch a half-trained Ezra Bridger, who we expect to see in the Ahsoka <laughs> series. They can't catch a, a, an unsighted Kanan. They can't catch anybody, but that's fine. We'll get into that more in Obi-Wan. Uh, uh, very, very excited for the Ahsoka series. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, in in no one is surprised news, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi star Moses Ingram, plays uh, Inquisitor Riva, was, has only, is only the latest uh, uh, actor, talent person involved with Star Wars, person of color involved with Star Wars to suffer uh, racist abuse on social media. This follows... Of course, the experiences of John Boyega, Kelly Marie Tran, events that kind of went unremarked upon by the larger corporate powers and the, and their colleagues. That uh, Lucasfilm is very in very welcome fashion has pushed back about this, tweeting uh, from the official Star Wars account: "Quote: We are proud to welcome Moses Ingram to the Star Wars family and excited for Reva's story to unfold. If anyone intends to make her feel in any way and welcome, we have only one thing to say: We resist." Uh, and then even more directly, there are more than 20 million sentient species in the Star Wars galaxy. Don't choose to be racist. Ewan McGregor also posted in support of, of Moses. And uh, all I have to say is, one, this is not surprising that, you know, uh, for a fandom as large as Star Wars, with a history of kind of like of this kind of thing happening, it's it's unsurprising this happened. Star Wars is such a big fandom. If Even if it's only 0.005% of... The, the fan population that uh, that engages in this toxic behavior, it's still a lot because the fan base is so huge. And it is really, really welcome to see Lucasfilm push back so strongly against it because, you know, honestly, we don't need those people. They can, they can go mm-hmm. fuck themselves. Any thoughts, Rosie? I just agree completely. I love to see Ewan also Great. standing alongside her and his message was really good. This is just... The bare minimum of what any of these spaces should be doing. It's a shame we have to deal with it, but it is the place where we're at now. And Moses is amazing, and Weaver is amazing. Really and we're going to get into why yes, she's are. such an interesting character. And let's do that right now. Up next in the airlock. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. 
Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Folks, we're stepping out of the airlock into the twice-baked dunes of Tatooine that are filled with ancient fish meat to discuss the first three parts of the Disney Plus limited series, Obi-Wan Kenobi. We start this speed, light speed recap uh, with part one. Uh, We open in really shocking, embracing, emotionally, like, devastating fashion with the uh, massacre at the Jedi Temple during Order 66. We see the Jedi uh, Padawans falling, uh, their teachers attempting to defend them, but all in vain. And we fast forward 10 years later, we meet the Inquisitor as we meet the Grand Inquisitor. We meet Fifth Brother, we meet Third Sister Riva. Uh, and we see them interrogating locals on Tatooine as they search for the various remnants of uh, the Jedi diaspora who have fled the massacre and are still out there somewhere. A young Jedi uh, named Nari, uh, played by Benny Safdie, the part of the uh, (laughs) directing duo, uh, the Safdie brothers, uh, rescues the canteen owner uh, from Riva, and uh, he goes on the run. Meanwhile, Obi-Wan Kenobi, is uh, has fully rejected his name, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi's Jedi name. He only goes by Ben now. It's not all he's rejected. We come to find out over the course of these three episodes that his connection with the Force is extremely weak, very, very weak, uh, in part consciously because clearly Ben has been so traumatized by the events and his own failure to, to stop the events mm-hmm. of some 10 years past that he has willingly disconnected from the force. Now he's uh, earning his, his, his way as a salaried worker, uh, butchering sand whale meat and living uh, in a cave, watching young yep. uh, Luke Skywalker from afar uh, and Freaky. trying to protect him from, from a distance, uh, occasionally making contact with his brother. Are we jumping in? Let's not jump ahead, but like, Owen Lars, occasionally making uh, contact with Owen Lars just to check in. And Owen, of course, wants very little to do. And I just want to say, Owen Lars. Yes. Maybe the sassiest man in the galaxy. Good for him. He is delivering some (laughs) sick burns, which Obi-Wan Kenobi definitely deserves. If you've ever watched Star Wars, and I know that this is like a 50-50 split. 50% of people think Obi-Wan is the coolest guy in the world. I understand it. I get it. The other 50% are like, what is wrong with this guy? He is useless. Why didn't he tell anyone anything? He is like betraying people constantly. Like he is just not on it. And you know what? This is a show that has given you an in-character. And it's Owen Lars, who's just like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> please leave my child and my family alone because my brother is dead and I'm just done. Absolutely. And it is it, it's great, great to see it. It's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, Nari are uh, on the run, uh, force sensitive uh, ex Jedi, perhaps, uh, comes to uh, Obi Wan, uh, excuse me, Ben. He's undercover. That's right. He's Ben, even though uh, many have said this, but Ben 
Stop dressing like a Jedi if you don't. This want guy to be couldn't. He couldn't dress more like a Jedi if he tried. <laughs> and I'm sure that that is like narratively is like he has that connection. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't know how to dress yeah. any other way because he was stolen at birth by Jedi's yeah. and and raised in robes. But seriously, you everyone is walking around this town being like, "Oh, where's the Jedi?" And this guy it. is just wearing Jedi robes. Just like put he on has some never pants. been good. <laughs> put on some pants and a shirt. You know what? Even a robe that's like purple. Yeah, Even a robe that's not brown. Right. The, the brown robe is, is too much, man. So Nari comes to uh, to Ben and is like, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, master, master, yeah. like, let's do it, man. We got to help Yeah, people. we got to do something. Like, yes, finally, like, you know, it's been 10 long years. The Empire is, is it seems unshakable. We have to do something. And Ben is like, nope. Hey, good luck to you. Wish you well. Um, but I'm out of the game. Sorry about it. And it's heartbreaking to watch this because this is where mm-hmm. this is how shattered and traumatized Ben is. And then uh, we go from here to Alderaan, where in an absolutely shocking at the time for me Done. development, Done. Done. we meet the young Princess Leia Organa, <laughs> who is precocious, not one to listen to any kind of, of uh, direction from any kind of adult figure and just loves being out here running around in the woods. I was not expecting this and it was amazing. It's so amazing. And I have to give a big shout out because if you heard, if you listened last week, you would have heard us talking about Kathleen Kennedy saying, we can never recast a character. I want to give Kathleen 500 stars for her incredible (laughs) red herring interview that she gave to Vanity Fair because this I was like, the only thing I want in my life is a young Princess Leia show. How will we ever get that if we can't recast? And someone at Lucasfilm was like, ha, 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 ha. Well, here you go. I mean, I, I, this show is so good. Even by this point, which you're like 15 or 20 minutes in, I was like, okay, Ewan is a workhorse. Yeah. He is selling this. Like, this is unbelievable. But the moment that we're in Alderaan and you see these kind of like, people dressing a young princess in this costuming that is so obviously Leia. I couldn't believe it. I was just, I immediately like teared up. And then when you see this character and this this actress who plays her, Vivian Lyra Bless, she is like one definitely named after uh, Northern Lights by Philip Pullman. (laughs) And two, like she is just so evocative of everything that made Leia so great. She has like this attitude and just big this, attitude. This sassy but chill and also like doesn't give a fuck. Like it's it's so good and I can't believe that Disney stealthed us once again. But instead of baby Yoda this time it's baby <laughs> Leia and I love it. I love it so much. We meet Leia, she's running around in the forest. We get what I is suspect, well, I think we both suspect, are meant to be hints of her very instinctively using the force as she runs around at play. And later on, uh, despite being directed to not run away and go run through the woods again, uh, she goes and does it anyway and is waylaid by a group of uh, bounty hunters led by Vec Nakru, a.k.a. Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's quickly revealed that Nakru's gang was hired by Reva, of the Inquisitors, uh, to lure Kenobi out of hiding, uh, which is our first hint that Riva is obsessed for whatever reason mm-hmm. with finding 
Kenobi, Bail yeah. Organa, Jimmy Smith still collecting checks after all these years. This guy could not. <laughs> Jimmy, they knew it. They, they needed knew it, it baby. They, Jimmy could not look more thrilled to appear on screen in yet another Star Wars story. I absolutely love it for my guy. Uh, it, uh, he contacts his old friend, gets a message to his old friend Obi-Wan saying, listen, I, I need you. I need you mm -hmm. have to. You're the only one that I know who can who can do this. Please help me. And Obi-Wan, who has uh, spent all these years trying to reject his identity as a Jedi, his connection to the Force, gets on a transport with his lightsaber uh, to head off and try and, and, and find Princess Leia. That brings us yeah. to part two. And that's like another one of my favorite moments in this show that I think really speaks to how these Star Wars TV shows are building out the context and language of these shows is like, uh, at first, Obi-Wan tells Bale, he's like, no, no, I've got to look after the boy. And Bale says the thing that every single person yes. in the universe has been saying for so long is like, the girl matters too. Like, she is yes. also your responsibility. Like, this is an important person. And, and we know that that was something that has always, Leia's always been a force to be reckoned with in the galaxy. But as we've gotten later in the kind of franchise's history and, and more contemporary, more and more people are saying, like, I want to know more about her. Like, why wasn't that, why wasn't she the chosen one? She was force sensitive, blah, 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 blah. And I kind of love, love that too. once again, this nods to that conversation and it calls Obi-Wan out. And you know what he does? He does the right thing and he gets on that transport. And episode two. Obi arrives on Dayu, which is an urbanized planet where all off-world communication and signals are essentially blocked. This is a crime planet uh, where anything goes. Uh, spice dealing, spice trading, you know, uh, creature, alien, human trafficking. Obi uh, walking down the street recognizes an old veteran of the uh, what appears to be the 501st clone troopers yeah this um, got me so oh my hard. god i was not expecting this and there's that moment and this is why ewan mcgregor is so good there's mm -hmm. a moment where it's all on his face he's like it's this connection of oh here's a here's a person you know, a clone of a person from a group that I worked so closely with for many years. We fought side by side from planet to planet, bled together. Um, but I'm terrified because if this clone recognizes me, boom, or uh, Order 66 will re-trigger and yep. I'm in trouble. And you're sitting there wondering, like, God, will, will he recognize? Will it trigger? Yeah, and they just pulled Tamura. They were like, Tamura, come over here and play this clone. And I was like, yes, finally, like a recognition of that connection. Yeah, it's, I mean, Ewan is just pulling the heavy duty. He is so good in this role. It's just, it's mind blowing to see it. It's so emotionally driven and so much of it weighs on those close-ups on his face of the storytelling that he puts across in like the slightest facial expression. And it really is like, you know, delving into this period between A New Hope after the Clone Wars, it is an absolutely tragic period where, mm -hmm. you know, if you're a surviving Jedi, one, you're terrified, you're afraid. Two, all you can think about is how did we fuck this up? How did we fail like yep. this? Palpatine was right there and we missed it. 
all of us, like mm-hmm. Yoda missed it. Yoda missed it. Obi-Wan big, missed big it. Fan. Everybody missed it. Uh, just an unbelievable, an unbelievably tragic time. And it's, and it, it, you can really feel it with Ewan McGregor's Yeah, and I feel like that moment of having the clone trooper there is like such a great recognition of the real cost of that war. Yeah. Like it's not just the Jedis who felt it. Like it's the clone troopers. The clones it's have been everyone. thrown away too. We don't even need them exactly. anymore. You know, and we're on we're veteran. on stormtrooper time now. Like that you can get yep. rid of these clones. We don't need them. It's like this these veterans who have been abandoned yeah. by the empire, by the people who used them in this war. It's, there's so much texture and like these little nods that that give this a real that they real add to that like tragic element of this period. Obi is met by a, a kid named Jaco. It's kind of like a, a street smart young street urchin kid. Uh, he's like, uh, do you need a Jedi? I know a Jedi. If you're looking for, you know, if you're, <laughs> you know, you need something, uh, some kind of mission accomplished. Guess what? I know a Jedi. Obi's like, that sounds interesting. Yeah, I'd like to meet a Jedi. Uh, it turns out this Jedi uh, named Haja Estri is really just a con man. He's doing good, helping uh, you know people get off planet when they really need to get off planet. But you know he's doing it for money, and of course he has no affinity with the Force. He just has some decent sleight of hand skills and some <laughs> uh, really powerful magnets. Uh, Obi Wan exposes Haja, uh, forces him to help him find Leia. Later, uh, Obi. Uh, still somewhat tentatively in contact with the Force, manages to follow his feelings to a a spice lab run by some kind of organized crime group. He uh, gets in there, blows up some beakers for distraction, heads deeper into the building, has a fight with a Dathomirian and a human, and then he finds uh, this room that he's looking for, but of course it's a trap. Vecnacru and his henchies show up. They start beating the shit out of Obi-Wan, but then Obi-Wan... Uh, throws a flask of spice on the ground and puts on a a mask so he doesn't get high off spice and he escapes. Uh, Finally, deeper in the complex, he finds Leia and the young princess is like, who the fuck are you? Like, (laughs) uh, who are you? Uh, I don't know you at all. You're here to rescue me? You're one fucking guy. Where's the army? Why is is it my, uh, my dad sent the army in here? And it's a wonderful mirror of... The events of a new hope would later yeah. on, you know, uh, uh, Luke Skywalker will come to rescue him and be like, you, you're here to rescue me. <laughs> and uh, an equally interesting mirror of, you know, here's 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 Ben Kenobi rescuing a Skywalker, mm-hmm. but it's not the one you expect. It's Princess Leia. This yeah. Time. And it's, I know that a lot, like, some people had been like, oh, isn't this, like, a plot hole? Because, like, before she just mentioned that she he knew his dad, her dad. Yeah. But actually, if you think about it, in that moment um, when Luke comes in and he says, Ben Kenobi, she knows who that is. Yeah. In A New Hope. She doesn't need it to be Obi-Wan Kenobi, which is what she says on her little, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. I think this actually feels very natural it to that and i also it it feels like it adds it's like it's additive you know it it feels like it adds something to the original trilogy and also i really think something they're seeding really well here with that question that leia asks where she says you know where's the army yeah. they're seeding this understanding that leia is going to come to and it we starts happening yeah this we episode. have to build the army we have to fight yeah. and also as well why can't my dad send an yes. army 
because she's starting to realize that there's something about her lineage, her family that makes her vulnerable. And it's very, it's very interesting. And I, I, this fits so well with the new books and, and the kind of cool canon they've built in about her as a teenager. And also a lot of expanded universe stuff where she was like a great, a great warrior and a great leader as well. So it's, yeah, it's just so good. And I love her and Ewan are so good together. So the good. chemistry is like exactly there. And we get so many good moments in this episode, in the next episode, where Ben is just seeing Annie and Padme when he looks at her. And it is just fucking it, great. It, it, like, absolutely it will gets make you, you cry. It gets you absolutely in the heart. Um, the two slip away in kind of disguise. Obi, again, still dressed like a Jedi because this fucking guy. Can't help it. He can't <laughs> help it. <laughs> uh, Reva finds a vet, of course, the people that she hired to do this kidnapping job, and she finds them absolutely uh, diluted on spice, and she realizes, aha, Obi-Wan must be close. Um, Obi and Leia are heading for a spaceport across town. Meanwhile, the Grand Inquisitor and the fourth sister and the fifth brother are fucking pissed. Reva's obsession with Kenobi is getting to be a problem. It's a big mess. Here she is. She engineered this fucking kidnapping. The Empire doesn't need a diplomatic crisis with Alderaan right now. Like, why are you making waves at that level? <laughs> you know, like, you shouldn't be doing that. Reva's like, listen, in what I find to be a, a very interesting uh, dialogue, Reva mm -hmm. says, listen, I went in the archives. I found a link between Obi and Organa. And I, that's how I realized that the princess would be the perfect bait to lure Obi-Wan, one of the most dangerous Jedi, still alive. Now, I, they didn't specify what archive, right? But mm -hmm. when I hear archive, so the Grand Inquisitor, back in the, in the Darth Vader comics, the 2017 Darth Vader comics, not the, not the 2020, um, we learned that the Grand Inquisitor his turn to the dark side, which was done in secret. Darth had no idea about it. That The emperor did this like as his own pet project and then revealed it to Darth and was like, hey, you can lead these guys. Um, the Grand Inquisitor, the, the way in to turning him, in addition to the torture, <laughs> to the copious torture as they <laughs> the all massive torture. the massive torture that they all underwent, was that the Grand Inquisitor, uh, you know, used to be a Jedi Padawan and he was like mad that the, uh, the, uh, lead archivist of the Jedi archive, Jedi, Jedi librarian, Jocasta New, wouldn't let him read the books he wanted. He wanted all this knowledge, but of course that's not meant for everybody. And Jocasta New mm -hmm. was like, no. And that was like kind of his way in. So when he rose to be the Grand Inquisitor and they had access to the, the Jedi archive, like he would just spend evenings in there reading everything that he wasn't supposed to read and luxuriating in it. All of which, now later on, this is getting off track a little bit, but I'm just going to, later on, Jocasta knew in a, an absolutely clutch move would delete the entire Jedi archive mm -hmm. rather than it fall into the hands of the Empire. This is very, very early on. And I wonder, you know, th understanding how the Grand Inquisitor feels about archive, the Jedi archive, and probably mm -hmm. knowledge in general, it's very interesting to me that Reva would have access to stuff like this, where she'd be able to yeah. find these clues. Um, and it, and I think we are certainly meant to wonder if this is the Jedi yeah. archive, right? 
Absolutely. And also, I think that what we're getting into now, I mean, this was very heavily in Boba Fett. It's been hinted at in The Mandalorian. It's definitely the kind of space that we're in on Dayu. This is a cyberpunk era of Star Wars. There, If there were Jedi archives, somebody hacked them and somebody has a copy. If there were Jedi archives, the Grand Inquisitor may well have downloaded the things he wanted from before then. The question is, how? they're doing something really clever with Reva. One of the biggest issues in a lot of Disney stuff, Star Wars stuff, whatever, is like when they cast a person of color, they make them a villain and they're like irredeemable and they kill them or they make them a good guy and they kill them. But like with Reva, they're doing something that they never really do, which is Reva has her own reason for being after Obi-Wan Kenobi. And being an Inquisitor is really just a, it's like a step to getting Kenobi rather than, she doesn't really care about the Empire. She doesn't bow down to the the Inquisitors. She doesn't really play by their rules. She has this secondary life. They talk about her being from the gutter, you know, and she has these connections in the Dayu underworld. Which I took, and I'm sure you did, to mean that she, even more than the other Inquisitors, had gone through the Jedi training process, maybe further than the others. Yes. Was taken later, perhaps, but perhaps even was one of these kids that survived mm-hmm. 66. Yes. And, it, it, and that is why they look down on her so much, is because she is more firmly connected with the Jedi. And the Force, because yeah. they say to her that her skills and her powers were what got her the standing. And we see later in this episode oh, that she's, she's like a wirework queen. Yeah. Like, also, she... Interestingly, they're kind of mirroring two aspects of... They're they're mirroring an aspect that both she and Leia seem to share, which is an almost telepathic empathy Mm. where they can read situations. And that's a version of the Force we haven't seen a lot, but has been hinted at. And yeah, I definitely think the opening of the first episode, which we talked about briefly, where we saw the younglings being massacred... I think Reva survived that. I think so. And too. I think that is why she is upset with Kenobi or has this deeper connection to Anakin that we kind of see. We play will out. deal we will delve more into those questions uh, quite soon. So uh the, the the Grand Inquisitor, listen, they need to work out their chemistry as a team. It's not working. They're very you, bad you could at get it. like like it, it's not just this. I understand that they probably caught other Jedi that many of whom we don't know about. But when it comes to crunch Perhaps. time, Cal Kestis, Kanan Jarrus, Ezra, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, so Guess what? They there was no lack of Jedi. Jocasta knew even. Like, yeah, I, there was like a, a extenuating circumstances in that one. Farron Barr, who was like a corrupted Jedi. Like they <laughs> just, they step on their own capes and it's very tough. And I think yeah. a lot of it is because they can't, they, they don't work yeah. well as a team and, and we, we saw it here. Also, we should say, if you are not well-versed in this, yeah. the very interesting thing about the Inquisitors that makes them so tragic and a, a great symptom of this tragic time, they are Jedi who were tortured and turned into the right. dark side and now hunt down Jedi. So it is like a really brutal, awful thing awful. that I actually think can narratively explain why they're kind of bad at their job. And also- Because I mean, they did not choose. Like, they were like tortured and corrupted. And and that they find it very hard. And everyone's ambitions, which we see in this episode and in the next episode, they're very furious. Yes. The ambitions to be near Vader, to be That's, near the ultimate corrupted Jedi. And that kind of seems to be driving everything. And it's really interesting because I feel like, again, 
like you said, the bad chem, the bad at their job is bad chemistry. This almost seems kind of a bit of an answer to that because we've all been laughing for a long time. Like, how do these Jedi survive? Yes. Order 66, did it work? And I feel like in this show, they're kind of trying to build out a little bit more about the Inquisitors I, and why it might not be working. <laughs> I, I think that in addition to that, you know, they aren't Siths very consciously. We'll get into that in mm -hmm. a second. But the Sith philosophy is certainly what is animating them and the rule of two, which said mm -hmm, that no mm -hmm, two mm -hmm, Siths mm -hmm. could ever exist, more, no more than two Sith Lords could ever be around at the same time because they try and kill each other. Uh, it certainly holds like the ambition that drives the, uh, the Sith, the paranoia, the lust for power, et cetera, does not necessarily lend itself to, to, to working as a team. And then secondarily, Palpatine very consciously does not want them brought up in the Sith tradition and, and consciously selected uh, ex-Padawans, Force sensitives, mm -hmm. who he thought would never be powerful enough to ever challenge him or even come close to challenging him. So he specifically picked people who were just not that good with the Force, which is why when we see Reva running around the rooftops, yes. we realize, oh, there's something different about her. Yeah. Um, so anyway, absolutely. the Grand the Grand Inquisitor takes Reva off the case. She's like, "You're off the. You're out of here. You've caused so much trouble. I will bring in Kenobi myself." Uh, Reva, of course, is not going to take that. She is not going to give up. He can't but, take the credit. She did absolutely. get Kenobi there. That's right. So she puts Kenobi's name out on the street all throughout Dayu. Now the whole planet of all these gangsters and criminals and, and street urchins are all looking for Kenobi and this young princess. Um, princess Leia is, we learn in this sequence, she is curious, she is independent, she is smart beyond her years, but dangerously, a little, she is so courageous that she's a little naive about mm -hmm. how dangerous things are all around her. She yeah, and she's been on Alderaan yes, her whole life. Somewhere safe. safe, yeah. She's never been in a situation like this. So she's very much like, I'll just sort it out. And it's like, babe, you're 10. Yeah. And your legs are like two inches long. <laughs> like, it, just take a second, hang out with the Jedi. Uh, the, as this criminal uh, all points bulletin goes out, it is received by the kid, Jaco and Haja. They see it and they decide, okay, we have to help. We're going to help. Uh, meanwhile, the Grand Inquisitor discovers that the whole city now knows about Kenobi, and he's like, fucking Reva, at it again! I can't believe you! Uh, Sick Obi of this. Obi and Leia, understanding that the, like, the city's hot right now, they hide out in an alley. Uh, uh, Leia, uh, through their little conversations here, realizes, hold on a second, I was bait because they're looking for you. They're actually looking for you. Why, why are they looking for you? Who are you? What is going on? And she makes a run for it. And now Obi has to like fight all these various street criminals on, in, in Dayu, all these bounty hunters, while catching up, attempting to catch up with the uh, slowest running yet most elusive 10-year-old ever. <laughs> uh, which I should say, like there's been a lot of joking about this. I think that I think it's quite clear what they're trying to suggest here through the various chase scenes that we've seen with Leia, young Leia, is that she is instinctively using the force to make people mm -hmm. miss. Like she doesn't know yeah. she's doing it. They don't maybe know, they don't maybe realize that it's happening. But I think those opening scenes in the forest of Alderaan were, were, were yeah. leading us to that conclusion that she's using Especially the force somehow without knowing it. 
in the first in in the forest scene, you kind of it very evocative of what we've seen in Leia in the original trilogy and the new stuff. So it was like really emotional, but also there's this great like the best because there's a lot that has been said about these chase scenes. Yes. I'm a young Leia stan, so I'm just like go for it, baby, yeah, yeah. you can make it. But like. The one thing that I think they do, the one scene they do really well in that moment is like she slides away from them under a tree and it's like really slick and they still manage to get her because there's so many of them. But definitely in this scene, especially with what we're about to learn about Obi-Wan, I think that the notion is that the reason that they can't catch her is they kind of, it's it's the it's the spell thing that we talked yes, about. Yes, there's in, only in there's no only way home. One group. You always look the wrong way. That's you right. always something distracts you. Someone comes in your way, and for some reason you're an adult man or men, and you just can't catch that ten year old. And it's the Force. That's the reason. Something in this is world, protecting her. who parkours? It's Jedi and Force sensitive people. Yeah. Um, Leia flees to a rooftop. Uh, ben is in pursuit. Also, the Inquisitors have been reinforced by a battalion of stormtroopers. And of course, Reva is up on these rooftops, just kind of peering around, waiting for any kind of clue that Obi-Wan has poked his head up. Um, They're up on these rooftops. Ben is trading blaster shots with some random bounty hunters. Meanwhile, he's trying to get Leia to come to him, to come out of safety. She is scared of him. She sees a, a gap between buildings. She's like, I can jump to this other rooftop to safety. It is way too far, but like again, those perhaps those Jedi instincts kicking in, telling you mm-hmm. you can maybe do this. You know, she leaps, doesn't come anywhere close. Obi manages to reconnect to the Force, and he uh, at the last at minute. the last minute saves her life, saves her from from falling to her death, and gently deposits her on the ground. Uh, on the ground. Haja points them to a cargo port is like he saves their life, which goes unremarked upon. And then he's like, hey, listen, here's how you get out. You go to this cargo port. It's fully automated. There's nobody actually there. It's all droids and computers. You can go there and you can get out. You head to Mapuzo from there. Obi is like, I don't trust you, but we, you know, what choice do I have? Mm -hmm. Uh, They head off to the cargo port. Haja intercepts Reva. And he tries to bluff her. He's like, hey, guess what? You're looking for Jedi. I'm a Jedi. I'm here. Uh, and she's like, no, you're not. You're not a, a Jedi, but you know something. And I'm going to use the force to pull it out of you. Um, meanwhile, Obi is getting to know Leia. Uh, he tells her that uh, you remind me of someone. And that someone is uh, it not spelled out, but certainly uh, by the description is the Duchess Satine, leader of Mandalore. I think it's multi. I think it's like multifaceted. Let's I think hear when it. he starts. So I think when he starts saying it to her, he's like, "You're really stubborn," and I think he reminds her of Anakin. Mm. And then I think he's he he's like, "You don't let me tell you what to do." And I think she reminds him of Padme. And then ah. when he says she was a leader, I think she reminds. I him love of that Satine. actually. And I think it's this. I think it's this kind of like. He's constantly going through these memories of these three people that he lost. And she is kind of this, she reminds him of what he was trying to save with Satine. And then she is literally like he is looking in the face yes. of his these two people who he loved. So I love that. And I had a friend, amazing Joel Monique, who texted me the exact same thing about Satine. I think it is, I think that's like, I think that's the third key of the loss that he is going through. And I think Leia is all of that for him. Uh, Reva catches up with Obi and Leia at the cargo port. Obi's like, Leia, go, go without me. Just go get to the ship. 
uh, I'll meet you there. Obi's connection, as we mentioned, is with the Force is very tentative. Uh, Riva is kind of searching for Obi amongst all the, the cargo, and she's trash talking him. And she mentions that Lord Vader has been looking for him. And then it is in this moment where Obi Wan realizes that Anakin Skywalker survived being maimed on Mustafar, laying by on Obi Wan Kenobi, laying by him, laying on a field of lava. His mission was. To stop Anakin Skywalker, to 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 stop the threat of the Sith to the galaxy, to kill him, Obi didn't do it. He walked away. He didn't make sure. He thought maybe the deal was finished, and he couldn't bring himself to actually finish him off. He walked away, and it's in it's in this moment, almost you know, ten years after those events, that he learns that Anakin Skywalker is alive and has been looking for him, and it is an absolutely terrifying and incredible moment. Which leads us to to wonder. So this is something we've been talking a lot about and wondering a lot about mm -hmm. in our pre-production meeting and our calls. Man, not a lot of people at this time know that Anakin Skywalker is Darth Vader. It's mm -hmm. like Obi-Wan Kenobi, who didn't even know that Anakin was still alive, right? It's Yoda yeah, he who just found out. Just found out right person. now. He knew that Anakin had been christened Lord Vader by Palpatine, but he didn't know that he was still do doing his thing as Darth Vader. He didn't know that. Didn't even know yeah, that he's apparently- he's been hiding in a cave. Yeah, didn't apparently know that Darth Vader was a person in the world. Um, Yoda, who has been out of it. Um, uh, Emperor Palpatine, of course, who turned him. Uh, Jocasta knew the librarian of the Jedi Archive who found out because- uh, and this is like the first year of Darth Vader's mm -hmm. existence. Darth Vader goes into the uh, the Jedi library, and the security droid there is like, "Anakin Skywalker, I recognize you. You're not uh, you're not cleared to come into this area." And Jocasta overhears that, and it, and much to her shock, discovers that Anakin Skywalker is Darth Vader, and that is terrifying. Uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. Or just Moff Tarkin at this time, who, yeah, who he does know, who does know, he figures it, he kind of sleuths it out. Um, Farron, but it's like very early on, and he probably hasn't told anyone, right? He probably hasn't told it, and this is like, and that's like five years into the Empire, mm -hmm. so a number of years before this and after Jocasta knew Farron Barr, who was the ruined Jedi who uh, was secretly advising the uh, uh, the King of Moncala, Lee Char. Uh, and was kind of manipulating, was not even kind of, was manipulating mm -hmm. uh, the Mon Calamari into direct conflict with the Empire, hoping to spark the rebellion. Um, but he knew, because he had seen the videotapes, I think, the security tapes from the Jedi uh, Temple, he knew that Anakin Skywalker was Darth Vader. He talks about it. This is in uh, the Darth Vader comic. And he tells his acolytes all about it. So his acolytes, mm -hmm. uh, I guess, would also know uh, and not that many others. We we think Masa Meda must have known the the uh, Grand Vizier of the Empire. When yeah, it works out, but it's not confirmed that we could find. But the fact that Riva knows and is just throwing mm -hmm. the name out there is very notable to me. And as we're going to talk about in part three, she seems to have a special relationship with yep with. Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader. Uh, so, did 
Anakin save her from the massacre? Did he take her under his wing? What, how does she know and how does she feel so comfortable just revealing this? Because that's a bit, this is a big deal. I think that Anakin, as we know him, even in his Darth Vader form, especially if you've read those Darth Vader comics, you know that there is still an internal battle going on. He has accepted the dark side, but he, he feels guilt and he does wonder about, you can tell that he wonders about what could have been like this different path he could have gone on. And I, I wonder if he saved Reva and potentially other younglings because that him killing those younglings yeah. was the moment he turned to the dark side. And, and that is kind of, There's, I wonder if there is a level of reflection and guilt there. And also this fits in very well to this comic book version of Anakin slash Vader that we met who can have these unexpected alliances with people like Dr. Aphra. Yes. Like there are relationships that can be built there, even in this person that we thought was this cold-blooded, cold-hearted, fully dark side person. No, this is still the era where he was able to make connections with people. He was able to make alliances. And Reva knows, she knows before Obi-Wan. Like that's his brother, his lover, whoever, whatever way you read it, like that is the person he was most connected to. And we get to see that as like the episode ends in like, give a, give you and all the awards for that final scene. Yeah, it's all there on his face. And it is, it is, it's truly shocking. Truly, truly shocking. Um, the, as this trash talking's happened, the Grand Inquisitor shows up and he's like, aha! I caught you, Reva. I caught you disobeying my orders, trying to bring in Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to show you how it's done. And Reva's like, nope. And she stabs him through the gut, killing him. No, he's actually fine. Uh, fine. (laughs) For those of you- We know that because of the canon. (laughs) Yeah, we know that because of Rebels and then the other canon comic book stuff. He, uh, he, uh, I won't say what his fate is. For those of you who want to take that journey, it's a really fun one. He- he ends up uh, 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 leaving the story in a very interesting way. I'll just say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is still alive right here, although the, the show is clearly playing very coy with it for those who are just into the live action, haven't yeah. done the animated stuff or the comic books and, and aren't aware of what goes on with the Grand Inquisitor. He is out here for a number of years later, being incompetent yet again. Obi and Leia make good their escape. On the way, in the cargo ship, Obi feels his old pupil Anakin reaching out with the force and then far away in Fortress Vader on Mustafar in his back to tank Anakin's eyes open and we get chills. Oh my God. What a, what a moment. Yeah. Obi, Obi-Wan says Anakin. Yeah. And then we hear the, <gasps> Oh, James L. Jones. He's back. He's Love back. That guy. 90, 91 years young, giving us the Darth Vader and the voice. Pipe sounding as strong as oh. ever. Um, that moment is just like, I already thought, I was like, they got me with these first two episodes. I didn't know how I was going to be feeling about this show. But Baby Leia, like, I love this. This is everything I want. Uh, Obi-Wan, who's introspective. But that moment when they reignite that connection yeah. and you remember why the prequels have stood the test of time, why these characters mean so much to people, that connection between them is just like, that is. Just, that's like a, they felt like a historic 
moment it really in did. star wars but also in like prestige tv like deborah chow's doing such a brilliant job with She's these great. episodes and that framing of ewan's face and then seeing that reflection of the back to tank and the eyes opening you you know that darth vader has been in his suit all the time like living as darth vader right that's the notion but in that moment it almost makes you feel like he's just been in the back to tank for 10 years waiting to hear yeah. obi you know it's like they, they there's it's that it feels that huge that monumental i mean that's got to be one of the that is like disney always does a good job teasing with the, the episode amounts that they choose whether it's three whether it's two whatever that's got to be the hook where you're just like oh, oh yeah it hooked me that's, i was like very smart I need to do that episode now very smart to just drop those two uh first and that takes us on to part three released this week on the cargo ship Adadayu, Obi-Wan meditates on these recent and very, very troubling events, including the revelation that his old Padawan Anakin Skywalker is alive and is doing a lot of mass murdering across the galaxy as uh, Lord Darth Vader. Uh, ben tries to connect with the mm -hmm. spirit, the energy of his old master Qui-Gon Jinn through the Force, but his his connection is just too muddled. It's too weak still. He is inundated instead with these troubling images and memories. He sees Darth Vader emerging from his back to tank, suiting up. Uh, he hears and remembers snippets of conversation from his clash with Anakin at the end of Revenge of the Sith on the slopes of Mustafar and elsewhere. He hears Reva taunting him. Uh, meanwhile, across the galaxy on Mustafar, Fortress Vader, Darth emerges from his tank. He has a Zoom call with Reva. So this is what we were talking about. The, the fact that they have, nobody contact, Vader doesn't really have one-to-one -one conversations with a lot of people. You know, it's like- Really just Palpatine. It's, it's Palpatine, like Palpatine and like Tarkin level people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's the, not a lot of other people. So he has this Zoom call with Reva. He harangues her for her failure to capture Obi-Wan. Reva's like, by the way, uh, uh, Obi-Wan uh, stabbed the Grand Inquisitor. And Darth Vader's like, I don't care. Don't He's give, like, he is irrelevant. I don't give a shit about the Grand Inquisitor, uh, which uh, I'll get into it later. And he, Vader doesn't care about the Grand Inquisitor. He's obsessed with finding uh, his old master. Darth is like, listen, I know what you want. You want to be the Grand Inquisitor. And guess what? You find Obi-Wan Kenobi. I think I can make that happen. But if you fail mm -hmm. and, you know, Darth Vader doesn't need to finish the sentence. When Darth Vader says, if you fail, you just better not fail. On the cargo Don't ship, uh, Ben uh, fixes Leia's little droid, Lola. And then they have a talk about the Force. Leia's like, what does it feel like? What's it like to use the Force? You know, it's... Um, what's it like to be a Jedi? And he's uh, uses this really wonderful metaphor where he says, I love I love this, I love so, this so much. much. Absolutely. He's like, you, have you ever been afraid in the dark? Um, and then you turn on the light. What's it feel like? She's like, it feels safe. He's like, that's what it feels like. I thought this was just wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. 10 out of 10, right? 10 out of 10. They arrive on Mapuzo, which is an out of the way uh, mining system. Uh, kind of like the, industrial heartland of the Galactic Empire. Um, they follow Hadra's coordinates to the meeting point to, to find their contact, and they set out walking in that direction. Uh, ben is growing more and more concerned with Leia's trusting nature. Her instinct to see the world is like inherently good, and he snaps at her a little bit. It's like, everything is not good. 
Leia. Everything mm-hmm. around us is not safe and good. He had just, I should add, seen a vision of Anakin standing on a hillside as, right before this. Uh, yeah, our first glimpse of Hayden and possibly why they recast Hayden and why, how we're going to see uh, that come we will, more to the fore. We will yeah. talk about this, uh, talk about that exact thing more. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Riva arrives at Fortress Inquisitorius as our first live action look at the uh, home base of the Inquisitors. We first saw it in uh, Jedi Fallen Order. She's called in for a meeting with fifth brother and fourth sister, probably. I don't think they've identified her yet, mm-hmm. but fourth sister. And she's like, um, hey, so Obi got on a cargo transport to some mining system somewhere, and we should do something about it. And fifth brother's like, listen, I know what's going on. You want to be the Grand Inquisitor, but guess what? I'm next in line to be Grand Inquisitor, so watch yourself. And he uses the force to kind of like, Make her bow. Uh, Riva then flexes on everybody by saying, "Oh yeah, well, uh, I just got off the uh, the phone, the FaceTime with uh, you know my my friend Dorothy Vades. Uh, you might know him <laughs> as Darth Vader. Uh, I call him I call him Dorothy. We're close. My, my old boss. We text sometimes, and yeah, I just got off the phone with him, and I don't know. He told me that I am to lead the hunt." for Obi-Wan Kenobi. So when I say launch the probe droids to the mining systems to go launch, you better fucking do it because Darth Vader told me. Now launch the fucking Mm -hmm. probes. Probes go launching. Ben and Leia on Mapuzo uh, agree on a cover story. If they're asked, they are visitors from Tall and uh, Leia's name is Luma. But also Ben is like, don't talk. Just don't talk at all. You talk a lot. You have a propensity to in, in, get involved in conversations with people and just don't, please don't do it. They arrive at the coordinates for the meeting and no one's there. Nothing, nobody, what to do next. Leia's like, I know, I see a truck. I'm going to flag him down. Ben is like, is that a good idea? But Leia's already doing it. Flags down the driver, his name is Freck, and Freck is a big, big fan of the Empire. He loves the Empire. He thinks it's great. He's like, what's wrong with some order? What's he wrong with a touch with a dollop of order in the universe? Didn't we need that? I think we needed it. And I think the universe is better for it. Good Imperial yep. people. I love it. He's, lo- he's loving it. He, but he's also like hilariously friendly. Yes. Like he's just like a really chill guy. Uh, on the road, uh, a squad of stormtroopers uh, hails Freck uh, to catch a ride. They know him well. You know, they know him as a lover of the Empire. The troopers, it turns out they're on the lookout for a Jedi. Uh, there just happens to be uh, a guy riding in the truck with him dressed exactly mm-hmm. like a Jedi. But you know what? They don't even worry about it. They don't the, worry the about it too much. Troopers are they, listen, terrible they, at finding Jedi. They are very, very bad at it. Obi, they, and they, they are tired. I have to say, this is like, Another thing I think this era of Star Wars, even from like the the new trilogy, has done really well is like building in a little bit more humanity. Yes, for whoever's in the stormtrooper suits, and these stormtroopers are battered. They're dirty. They are tired. They yeah. they have to get a a freck. Yeah, they can't even get them. They can't even give them. them tri- they don't have a vehicle for them. No they speeders. Are tired. They're walking like, around. It was. It was hilarious, yet absolutely believable in the context of what we see, that they kind of just don't, even when what happens next happens, 
You believe it. Yes. Which is impressive. So they, you know, they, they question Ben a little bit. Where are you from? What's going on? Uh, he's like, I'm from Tall. Uh, we're here because her, uh, is my daughter Luma, her uh, mom's people are from here. And so we were just uh, visiting and then Obi fucks up and uses Leia's real name, but then covers it up by saying, uh, you know, her mother, again, just passed and that was her name. And uh, things have been really, really, really tough since then. But in this conversation, Leia, again, a force sensitive person who just instinctively can, mm-hmm, can mm-hmm. empathize, as you said, Rosie, with people and feel things. She knows that Ben knew her real mother mm-hmm. and she can tell that he's been hiding something probably related to that, but whatever it is, it's certainly painful. The troopers get off the truck and Leia asks Ben, are you my real dad? Like, is that what's going on here? It is a really sad moment, by the way. And he's like, <laughs> the saddest thing is he's like, I wish. Yeah. And I'm like, so does everyone else who watched so those movies me. and wished, yes. wished that you were the more age appropriate pairing for Padme. That would have yeah, been it's nice. Like, they did such a good job in that moment. And again, you and kills it. Like the, the chemistry between them is perfect. And it's another bit of that great storytelling where you can just. The reason Leia knows is because, like, when he is looking at her and saying the stuff, we miss her mother, you know, da da da, it's true. Yeah. It's just about Padme, you know? Yeah. And And when he's like, yeah, like, I wish I could say I was or whatever, I was just like, wow, yeah. that is like so real. It is very, and then very we get real. like a we get like a huge Obi Wan moment as well. Well, it, it, here we go. Blowing. So uh, Ben is like, listen, I uh, he doesn't tell her, of course, who her real dad is. Yeah, and he like derails it with he, his own emotional he <laughs> story. Then, he is like, hey, but you know, listen, I know what it's like to wonder who your real parents are. The Jedi came for me when I was very young. I still have snippets of memories of, you know, my mom and my dad and my brother. Wait, what? What? Boom, boom, uh, this, boom. This is like, I, I absolutely love these shows. Yeah, it's, I'm sure that they're just doing what the Marvel shows do, where they just like throw in some like yeah. canon that if it was legit would be absolutely explosive. So kind of like the notion of Obi-Wan's brother is like a huge controversial fandom drama and it goes back to the the return of the jedi novelization by james khan where it is claimed that obi-wan is the brother of owen lars which would explain luke skywalker with Baru. now that essentially stayed in the expanded universe canon it was referenced multiple times it was built on it sometimes i think he was referenced as his like he was his stepbrother maybe but what basically that stayed in that expanded universe canon as a truth until Attack of the Clones. Because in Attack of the Clones, we see Shmi, who is Anakin's mom, who is left by um, uh, Qui Gon Jinn. She the guy she marries the guy who bought her, and then that makes Anakin and Owen Lars stepbrothers in the current Star Wars canon. But saying Obi-Wan Kenobi remembers having a baby brother is going to make fans go, oh my God. Yes. Especially with the sassy relationship that Owen. It is clearly and, what they are hinting at. Yeah, they, they want you. I'm. Sh- it, could it come to something? It could. I mean, 
the notion of Obi-Wan Kenobi telling Anakin, you are my brother, Anakin, is like one of the most famous moments in Star Wars history. So I would be interested to see if they wanted to try and find a way around canon to to make something of that connection between the three of them and to make him more of a canonical family member of Luke and Leia. But that was such a huge moment. Like I was yelling. Because it's like, it's like they wanted to set the fandom on fire. I haven't even really been on the internet today. And I'm sure there's like 500 articles about that. Because that was just like, oh my God. I texted you guys immediately. It was just like, it was, it was they did it. Uh, it was brother. one of many kind of like huge drops in this very episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, they conti- The truck continues on its way. Freck stops at a checkpoint and he gets out and he warns the troopers that are manning the checkpoint that, hey, you might want to take a look at my passenger. Something, something weird about that guy. Oh, shit. Ben pulls up his hood so that he can look specifically very much more like a Jedi than he already did. <laughs> I don't know if that was the right uh, move. And things go sideways extremely quickly. And in- the Inquisitorious probe, one of the probes that they sent out mm-hmm. across the galaxy, shows up and scans Ben's face. He shoots it but not before it can upload his information to the uh, Imperial Cloud. Uh, There is Mm -hmm. a shootout. Ben takes out the stormtroopers, but unfortunately, another squad of stormtroopers pull up, uh, and it looks like it is curtains for our friends uh, Ben Kenobi and the young Princess Leia, but then, of all people, the, the Imperial officer who arrives with that squad of stormtroopers by the name of Tala saves Ben and Leia. Turns out mm-hmm. she is a, a a double agent, so to speak. There's no real rebellion at this time, but she has been working to to undercut the empire in any way that she can. She takes them to a safe house, which is a stop on an escape route for uh, Jedi on the run, Imperial dissidents, Force sensitive children. Uh, called the Path. Yeah, and this is a really cool. The path leads to a planet called Jabim. And Jabim is like an old legends stalwart planet that was always getting mentioned in comics and books. And there was uh, battles on Jabim. It's a relevant place. If you've read the legend stuff, you probably recognize it. And I think that's just another really cool way that these shows are kind of building in that expanded universe world. And of course, the canon animation stuff that we're seeing like play such a huge part here. The Inquisitors now know where Ben is. Fifth brother says, hey, Reva, don't don't bother informing Vader. I already told him. I got his number. I called him and I told him. <laughs> and guess what? He was really excited about it. So everyone ha, ha, ha. is just hollow calling Vader. Like yeah. Vader's lonely. He's just sitting in the house. Like, like an empty fortress. He's like, yeah. he's got his like, he's got his DMs open. He's like, please, anyone, <laughs> anyone like tell me what's going on with Obi. I need to know. So the Empire is now uh, heading towards Mapuzo in force. Leia is now start after seeing all this violence up close, people dying, people that stormtroopers are getting cut in half. She and and seeing this escape route by people who are on the run from the Empire, she now is beginning to understand how dangerous things are all around her. And she is like, man, I wish I shouldn't have snuck away. I shouldn't have done that. That was really, I see how silly that was and how childlike that was in this extremely uh, grown up and adult and merciless situation. And Ben's like, that's, it wasn't your fault. You're a child. Mm -hmm. You 
should not have been thinking like that. Inside the safe house, our friends meet Ned B, a loader droid who, quote, isn't allowed to communicate, leading us all to expect that Ned B will communicate at some point, right? Ned B will, there is something to come with Ned B. Uh, Tala tells our friends that the Empire is hunting for sensitive kids for reasons unknown. Mm -hmm. We know the reason, at least in part, is to torture them and turn them into inquisitors, turn them into the hounds of the mm -hmm. Empire. Should add that as part of the Jocasta New uh, arc in the Darth Vader comic, um, the reason that Palpatine wants Jocasta New captured and wants her not to be killed, he tells Darth Vader, he's like, you got to make sure that nothing happens to her before you take her prisoner, is that she has in her possession a list of all the sensitive, Force-sensitive kids throughout the galaxy. So this is, not the, this is not the first time that such a list has come up. It comes up in Rebels, too. But uh, Darth then gets a hold of the list, but then destroys it. it. One of those moments where Darth does something good for reasons that are unclear, I think the reason mm -hmm. that you're meant to think about it in that moment is Darth doesn't want any competition. He doesn't want any kids. He yeah, doesn't yeah, want yeah, yeah. Palpatine raising up any junior Darth Vader's to come and take his place. He wants that position all to himself. And I'm sure that's a large part of it. But there's also the part of it of mm -hmm. no more, no more killing in my name. I'm, that's it, We are meant to at least hope that that is part of it. So we understand the Empire has been hunting for sensitive kids, continue to do so. In a secret room at the head of a hidden passage, there is all this graffiti of the people that have, have come through here and that continue to use this place. And one of the names Ben recognizes, it's Quinlan Voss. Quinlan Voss, who we, uh, know, dun, 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 who we know from the Clone Wars and other places, is kind of like a Jedi, much like Qui-Gon Jinn was like a Jedi who didn't adhere strictly to the Jedi dogma, dressed in a different way, acted in a different way, was really his own type of person. Really mm -hmm. interesting that Quinlan, there's been other hints elsewhere that Quinlan survived. Again, in the Darth Vader uh, comic, um, uh, Farron Barr mentions that it's rumored that Quinlan survived. I think there's a mention of Rebels that maybe he survived, but this is perhaps our first hard confirmation that Quinlan Voss is out here and Tala says, yeah, Quinlan's actively helping us. He's been helping mm -hmm. shepherd kids through this path. Um, and there's another uh, bit of uh, Jedi graffiti here that reads, only when the eyes are closed can you truly see. Um, and this seems to resonate with Obi-Wan in that moment. Um, and as they are about to head off down the tunnel to the spaceport to leave, they hear a, a something outside, a, a commotion. Stormtroopers are arriving uh, to search Tala's workshop, but they don't find the secret room or the tunnel. Leia watches Tala uh, with fascination as she's like gearing up to take them to the spaceport. She's putting on her holster. She's putting in her blaster. And it is clear in this moment, this wonderful bit of foreshadowing, we're getting so much foreshadowing with young Leia, that mm -hmm. she, it, Tala says something like, I, I put the holster on the other side and the opposite side that most people do so I can draw quicker. And clearly Leia is inspired by the courage, the fierce dedication of this woman in this nascent rebellion. It's so early on that we don't even have a word for what this movement is. There is no even word for a rebellion. She's just acting 
you know, as like an independent person with other like-minded people to try and undercut the empire in any way that she can. Um, and it's clear that that Leia is inspired by this. Um, yeah, and in a really cool moment, she's like, can you teach me how to shoot? Yeah. She's like, she's like trying. She's like, and I think Tala's like, wow, one day she's going to be a fighter, you know? And it's like, you can see Leia in the future with her blaster, like... Uh, yeah, it's, it's really great because, like, listen, the the courage here is Leia's courage reads as childlike naivete, but mm -hmm. all of that is a through line. I was, again, going back to Rogue One and watching it, it's wild that Princess Leia went to the Battle of Scarif, which, like, not, this was, you know, the Battle of Scarif happened because... Uh, Jin Erso and um, uh, and the rest just were like, we have to do this. The rest of the rebellion is too scared to do it, and they went, and that inspired others to go, you know, uh, to go do it. And the fact that Princess Leia was one of those people who's just like, I'm going to put myself mm -hmm. directly in danger in this major battle that is not even really sanctioned by like the all of the rebellion says a lot about Princess Leia and her willingness to put herself directly into harm's way something that we see early on just by who she is you know yeah and it's so well established here as well because like this is only like nine years away from a new hope yeah you know leia is a teenager in a new hope so in rogue one it's like she is still that young woman and and it and it feels so true to her to see her as a kid being that brave you can understand how she becomes that that leader tala says to Ben, I can't believe that the great Obi-Wan Kenobi would be like, would be scared of anything. And Ben, again, recoils from that name, insists on being called Ben. And they start to go down the tunnel to escape. But as soon as they do that, Ben feels a malign, evil presence. Darth Vader is here. And you hear screams outside. So they go to peek outside to see what's happening. And what is happening is an absolute horror show vader is killing anyone who is around in order to lure out his old master hoping that he will you know that's what we expect from a jedi right seeing this jedi would ignite their lightsaber and go out there um ben instead says listen you tala take leia get out of here and then he goes out but he doesn't go to face darth vader he just runs he runs away mm -hmm. um, yeah, in a quarry somewhere near the town, he comes face to face with Darth Vader, and but again, he's reluctant to face him in battle, and Ben flees. But he can't. He can't go far enough. Um, he knows that he can't escape Darth Vader, so he ignites his lightsaber very reluctantly, and he comes face to face with Darth, and he says, "In in terrified, like what have you become?" And Darth says, heartbreakingly, but really, really oh. evilly. I am what you made me, Darth says. It's like, it's so true and so sad. I When he said that, I was just like, it's there is writing in this show that's like, it's so simple, but it's just that in that, you know, six words, that is every guilt and fear and sadness that Obi-Wan has because he knows it's true. Yeah. He knows like it's true. that is the that is the truth. He failed. You know? The yeah. Jedi failed. He failed. Their philosophy the, the Jedi failed. failed. Their ability to do their 
their job to bring mm-hmm. order to the galaxy and fight the Sith and keep them at bay. They failed at it in the most tragic way. Uh, they failed this young, uh, this young uh, Force-sensitive Padawan who became a Jedi, who became a Sith Lord. They failed to, to help him along his way. And now, not only that, but Ben failed in the moment when he needed to have steel in his heart and he needed to strike mm-hmm. Anakin down. He didn't do it. And now he is faced with the consequences. Darth Vader, who has been mass murdering across the fucking galaxy. It's also like one of the fascinating things that I think about all the time with with Star Wars is it's also it's also a little bit of projection. Like Anakin, Darth, take some responsibility for what you did. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. understand that yes, you were working, you were under the influence of Palpatine. Uh, an incredibly powerful Sith Lord that nobody knew was around. And you were seduced by him and brought into the dark side. And yes, that that happened and the Jedi failed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But also you struck down kids, children in multiple times, multiple at the Jedi temple. And you need to own that. And eventually he gets there. But Mm -hmm. in this moment, he, it's somebody else's problem. It's somebody else's fault. Yeah. He didn't. This is your fault for making me what I am. And that's true on some level, but also not true on another level. Meanwhile, the, the Inquisitors and the special stormtroopers, they're searching town. Reva breaks away from them, heads into Tala's workshop where she finds the secret room, finds the tunnel, sees the sign of the Jedi carved into a wall, and something awakens in her. She becomes enraged. Some emotional hit happens. Yeah. And it's clear there is some connection with the Jedi, something about them that drives her. I definitely feel like that, you know, only with your eyes closed can you truly see. That sounds like something they're telling Jedis when you put in on the yeah. helmet and you can't see and you're hitting. And it, it, I feel like there's something about seeing that sign and seeing these words that were probably told to her when she was training as a youngling or whatever. It is like a feral it rage that she is just overcome with. And it is obviously triggered by a trauma response to the Jedi. Absolutely. And there's also, you know, part of the Sith seduction to the dark side is your eyes have been closed. The Jedi have been lying Mm -hmm. to you. They want you to keep your eyes closed and not see the true nature of the Force. So here is this Jedi saying, you know, bit of Jedi wisdom that directly, not only hits her on an emotional level, but, but, triggers that torture that she's gone through, that philosophy that's been ingrained yep. in her, that the Jedi have been lying to you. They've been keeping the truth from you. Further on, Tala at Leia's urging, some bit of force persuasion here, maybe, right? She does seem like she just tells her to do it. Tells her, go like, back. Okay. Go back and help Obi-Wan. She's just like, yeah, go ahead, go. And Tala just heads back to face the most dangerous man, the most mass murdering man in the galaxy. And again, this is one of those moments where I, I agree with you. I, I, there are these hints that Leia is this very powerful force sensitive. And there it is. She just tells somebody to do something and they go and do it. And of course, Tala mm-hmm. has that will to resist in her, but she, she goes. Um, Darth can feel in the midst of this duel how weak Ben has become with the Force, and he's almost disgusted by it. He toys with his former master rather than strike him down immediately. He instead 
sets him on fire. It sets a fire on the ground and then holding Obi-Wan above it, slams him down with the force into the fire and then drags him across it. It's brutal. And But before Darth can uh, take Obi-Wan prisoner, to to further torture him is very clear. He doesn't. He's yeah, because he said he was like, "I'm not gonna." He's like, "Your pain is not over yet." No, he's like we're I'm gonna, taking you with yes, me. Yes, we're You're going in a back to tank. We are gonna extend <laughs> this pain. You are going to continue to feel it. But before that can happen, Tala and her droid Ned come to the rescue. They manage to spirit Ben away. Uh, they blow up a, a tank of some kind of explosive crystals, and and now. Darth Vader and Obi-Wan are separated by this fire, much like they were on Mustafar, separated by fire yet again. They managed to spirit uh, Ben away. Darth is foiled. He There's the classic Darth Vader staring at the thing that he now cannot have and then turning away in disgust. Foiled again, but not for the last time, surely, in our story. Tala then uh, 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 tells Ned, get the transport ready. We're taking Ben. We got to get Ben to Jabim. Leia continues down the tunnel where uh, she is to meet her contact that will take her to Jabim, but instead she finds Riva, who says, I'll take you from here. Bum, bum, bum! Yeah, they do such a good job as well, because like Leia's like, are you my contact? And yeah. she says, no, they couldn't make it. I'll take it from here. And there's a moment where Leia believes her, and then Leia looks to the viewer and sees the dead bodies of the contact, and then just tries to breeze truly but i don't see that going truly well for an, her. Uh, uh, man what a bone that is chilling a stunning episode stunning stunning so action from end to end uh some questions remain which we will continue to think about um i think that it's almost a for sure thing that at some point uh ben kenobi will accept his name Obi-Wan Kenobi in some moment of triumph, right? And I think that a precursor to that will must be his successfully contacting uh, his old master uh, uh, who he failed to contact at the beginning of, of this episode, Qui-Gon Jinn. He will, he will, we will see Liam Neeson in Force Ghost form, mm-hmm. right? I feel like that has to happen. That's definitely going to happen. And I think a big journey that Obi-Wan's going to go on in this episode and we're halfway through the season now but i definitely do think that he is gonna go on that journey to reconnect with the force and i think that it will probably be somehow connected to anakin slash vader like i also wonder if vader will like mockingly use his name or mockingly call him ben and he'll sort of reclaim obi-wan but i'm yeah i'm very interested definite force ghost Qui-Gon, which is going to be like, they'll have to do some narrative shifting to kind of, and, and some playing with some stuff to, to make that uh, possible. But I definitely think that's where we're headed, especially because right now we know his connection to the Force is weak and we're going to need a really visible way to see that it's growing stronger. And I think it's going to be by connecting I, yeah, it's, to that, to his master. It is so tragic to see him this disconnected from the, this, you know, Running from his former student, this is the guy who went toe to toe with Count Dooku, went toe to toe with Grievous, General Grievous. Yeah, Grievous. Went toe to toe time and time and time and time again with Darth Maul. And now here he is 
unsure if he can hold his own with Darth Vader. It's really, really mm-hmm. tragic. But you feel like we've got to see him at at the end of this. Obi Wan will be Obi Wan again. Uh, you mentioned uh, Hayden Christensen, Darth Vader. It feels like listen, you don't cast Hayden Christensen just to put him in the Darth Vader armor where we never see his face except like in the back to tank, you know, behind back to bubbles uh, and without even hearing his real voice, James Earl Jones, again, Mm -hmm. sounding stronger than ever doing the voice of Darth Vader, which leads me to wonder, does the helmet come off? Does it get damaged? Does he take it off? Does Obi-Wan knock it off? Does it come off in the midst of some kind of fight or do we get a flashback, some kind of scene of, of, of Darth in his own mind connecting with the Force and mm-hmm. meditating in that way? We saw there's a wonderful panels in the Darth Vader comic of Darth meditating, and you see him on some kind of Force realm, Force plane, uh, uh, surrounded by fire and, and red, angry uh, energy, but also these little blue force butterflies which we are meant to interpret as like the little kind it's of like pinpricks yeah. of the light shining through in the darkness i wonder if we what we see to allow I us to understand why version, hayden has been is cast in this role. i think we get versions of both yeah i think that there's almost certainly going to be some kind of human connection between the two without the mask i think that's likely but i also think that some kind of force plane, we talked about world beyond world. Yes. I think that there is this bigger notion of what the force can do and how it can connect us. We saw it with Ray and Kylo when they were force, like FaceTiming each other and being in the same space. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a version of that where Anakin is Anakin, is Hayden and Ewan McGregor. And that is where they connect and where they speak to each other, some kind of meditative force plane where they both still see him in that way, which would make sense. Also flashbacks, but I do think that because of the nature of the prequels and them existing and them being so key, I don't know how much literal flashbacks we'll get, but I definitely think that it's not just going to be Hayden standing for a moment as a in his cloak, you know, like we saw in this episode. I think there's definitely going to be more to his role. And I'm really excited to see where they go with it because they're definitely leaning into the emotion of this story that kind of means so much to fans and also is so key to kind of why people love Ewan so much as Obi-Wan. Reva, we got to find out what her deal is with Mm Obi-Wan, what her connection to Darth Vader whatever that is, what, you know, what kind of special relationship she has with Vader, seemingly has with Vader, what the nature of that is. But also it feels like, listen, what is one of the core themes, devices of Star Wars is someone in the dark being pulled back to the light. And Darth Mm -hmm. Vader tells her, listen, you can be the Grand Inquisitor if you succeed, but if you fail, guess what? Um, And it feels like Riva is at the end of all of this. We know that the Grand Inquisitor, spoiler, is still alive because he exists in canon going forward and he's still in that position. So it feels like Riva doesn't get the job, i.e. she fails. Meaning at some crucial moment, 
does Reva turn away from the dark side, do something good finally, and is struck down by Darth Vader or someone dies in, in that turn to the light. It feels like I think that will happen. Yeah. It, it feels like we got to see that. I think that's really likely. I, uh, my hope would be that she gets to live on in some kind of Obi-Wan-esque self-imposed exile rather than dying. Yeah. You know, like the, but she does that good thing and it, it pits her against Anakin. And, and it is, seems quite likely that she may die. But I think that they're trying to recontextualize how they kind of play into those tropes. So I hope we could see something else. But I definitely think a turn to the light side is is likely, yeah. especially because, like you said, the Inquisitors are not Sith. They are dark side users. Yeah. They are and 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 that is long been a controversial space in the in the Star Wars canon of this like someone who can use both sides of the force mm -hmm. and and what does it mean to to do that? And I think it'll be really interesting to see. I think that the blue butterflies is a great nod of 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 this importance of the light side that's still able to be there. I think Disney actually did like a kid's cartoon that had Kylo Ren and he was playing with blue butterflies when he was a baby. And there was a lot of talk about like, what did that mean? And what do the blue butterflies mean for somebody who's going to turn from the dark side and, and eventually turn back to the light? So I think that's a really... Great. I wouldn't be surprised to see a few fluttering by. But yeah, I'm really interested to see where Reva's journey goes because it Same. feels like it feels like her anger towards the Jedi is likely very justified. I, I think that Jedi the, fucked the, up in a million different ways. So we could go on and on. Yeah. Nature of the Jedi is is key to the, the even Obi-Wan talks about it. For yeah. the first time, we really hear someone say, you know, I was taken away from my family as a child. And I was raised by the Jedi and they became my family. But that's still not a, a great way to uh, to run a society or like a strange elite force. So I'm I'm really interested to see where Reva's story goes. And also, Reva seems to me like a character who's ripe for like a comic book yeah. and a book and all kinds of things exploring their story more. So I'm excited to see how that gets expanded out and in then, canon. And then finally, you know, we're in this age of bringing in these... Uh, characters from the extended Star Wars universe uh, into the live action space. We saw Black Chrysanthemum, of course, in Book of Boba Fett. And uh, Black Chrysanthemum, of course, is known to work closely with uh, Dr. Aphra, the kind of uh, uh, independent and fierce and and a uh, trash-talking archaeologist who's kind of in a moral gray area, but a really fun and, and independent character. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I think all of us are expecting at some point in time, and we're expecting in Book of Boba Fett, that maybe uh, Dr. Aphra would show mm -hmm. up. And uh, I think other people have said this, but we're we're waiting for Maya Erskine from Pen15 fame to show up in this story, and it feels like if you wanted to cast Dr. Afra, you could do a lot worse than Maya Erskine. And when the timeline this, is right. The, ti <laughs> the timeline is yeah. right. If, if that were to happen. And yeah. And what, when you said this, I was just like, I need this to be the case. Cause that casting would be so brilliant. And also it speaks to why you would have to have Hayden. Yes. Because if you have Afra, then you likely have a relationship between her and Vader, uh, 
antagonistic alliance of survival that needs and that would be a very interesting use of Hayden and it would also deal with one of the biggest issues with doing Afra in live action which is she needs to be alongside Vader at some points so if you do it now if Hayden doesn't necessarily want to come back and be Vader again you don't have to deal with that issue you can just have Afra, and you've already established that connection here. I love this casting. I am like crossing my fingers. I hope it because he's very under the radar. You were like, I'm sure people have said this, and I googled it, and maybe like two or three places, and not like the usual, um, the usual kind of suspects said maybe this was could be the case. So I am, I am crossing my fingers because that Pen Fifteen is so great, and Maya is just like it's a wonderful. fucking talent, and it would just be such good cool funny smart really funny really costing for those of you not up in dr afra uh check out some of the dr afra comic books the uh, Mm -hmm. uh, the marvel star wars comics Uh, she's got her own title and i'll just say that her relationship with vader we talked about these unlikely alliances that vader strikes for reasons that are hard to unpack sometime they seem like purely ambitious to further his but evil ends, but they also seem to hint at something else. And the relationship they have, and Afra's courageousness and the way she deals with Vader is really unique. And man, it, it would be great be, if that was. It would it, also to bring be like Afra here. That would be such an interesting counterpoint to the fear that yes. Obi Wan currently has to have that kind of fearlessness, and it, and it would be an interesting reflection of Reva too. Yeah. This kind of person who can ally themselves with Vader when they need to. Yeah, I I am hoping. That's like my biggest one. I mean, everything else about this show, like unless it's going to be some weird deep cut thing that only I care about, they're already delivering like the young Leia, the, the introspective Obi-Wan. So that's now my, that's my pet theory. I am, I'm manifesting Maya as, as Dr. Afro. Well, we can't wait uh, for the next episode. Check check this space check us uh, a week from friday where we'll talk about the next episode of obi-wan we're super excited about it up next nerd out in this week's nerd out a recurring segment where you tell us what you love and why heidi pitches us on the three body problem by lu jishin uh the first novel in the remembrance of earth's past trilogy It's a great sci-fi. Hello, X-Ray Vision and physics fans alike. My name is Heidi and I teach university physics, which is why I'm excited to share with you my love and excitement for the Remembrance of Earth's past novel series, more commonly referred to as the three-body problem. I was first introduced to the novel while listening to one of Jason's many COVID sucks, I'm stuck in the house and you're stuck in the house, so let's talk about nerd stuff Twitch streams. He highly recommended the novel for its mind-bending, hard science fiction rendition of Earth's first encounter with an alien race. At the time, I was a master's student studying space systems operations and was craving more space-based sci-fi content, and this epic tale checked all the boxes. This Hugo Award-winning novel series is the product of Chinese science fiction author Chie Qin Liu. In today's world, China is a country that is quietly making considerable gains in the realm of space, both scientifically and militarily, which drew me into the work. In the novel, citizens of Trisolaris have found a way to contact the people of Earth through a virtual reality game that transports its players into the horrors of the experience living on a planet stuck in the three-body system. N-body systems refer to three or more bodies interacting with each other gravitationally. 
In orbital mechanics, two bodies will predictably orbit each other. However, when a third body is introduced, the number of variables becomes unmanageable and physics begins to break down, creating what scientists refer to as a chaotic state. With two suns and one planet, the scenario Trisolaris finds itself. There are periods in the world's orbit where the planet is near a single star and can exist as expected, and other times where it is near both or neither stars, causing unsurvivable periods of immense heat radiation or no light and heat at all. The aliens are left desperate and need the Earth to save its race. The three-book series spans immense tracts of time and space. It is a fusion of science, philosophy, world politics, physics, and conspiracy that plays out in a page-turning epic that makes you earn for more. The novel series uses fairy tale-like analogies to present problems faced by the world that allows the readers to unfold the science in a natural way that brings understanding to the most novice of science fiction readers and experienced scientists alike. The author also continuously calls out the Chinese government of today for its idiocracies, but does it in a way that veils his true meaning, the same way his characters attempt to trick the Trisolarans, which I find hilarious as China outwardly raves about the novel's success. The best part of the series is that you can look forward to none other than our boys Benioff and Weiss adapting the novels in an upcoming Netflix series. Filming has already begun, and you can look forward to a star-studded cast that includes John Bradley and Liam Cunningham of Game of Thrones and Benedict Wong from the Marvel Universe. The book, in many ways, is touted as unfilmable, but that did not stop D&D before. The other good news is that the trilogy is complete. It hosts one of my favorite endings in all of literature, masterfully written as if I was already watching it in IMAX 3D. I'm excited to see this story come to life on our screens. And with filming wrapping up in August and a potential release in 2023, that leaves plenty of time for you to read through the three novels of this series before its cinematic debut. Thanks, Heidi, for submitting. If you want to be featured, send your nerd out pitch to x-ray at crooked.com. Instructions are in the show notes. Well, folks, it's been a big Star Wars episode, and it's a big thank you to Rosie Knight for joining us on X-Ray Vision. Rosie, what do you have to plug? Hey. Hey. Uh, I, the same as, you know, um, Instagram, Rosie Marks, Letterboxd is the same. Uh, lots of cool pieces coming up at Nerdist, especially and IGN and Polygon. Uh, some cool anime stuff, queer comics stuff. For Pride also, I'm going to be all over that Miss Marvel stuff. As we said last week, we had our kind of first reactions yeah. and we were definitely fans. Um, I'm also going to be on the upcoming episode of June Pod, Woo, talking about Logan's friends. Run. Yeah, our good buds at the June Pod. So talking about Logan's Run, one of the weirdest, like funniest 70s movies that's like a stalwart of British culture for some reason. Yeah. So it's like been in my life, like my whole life. So that that was really fun and, and they're friends of the pod. So definitely check that one out. Folks, don't forget to check out our videos on the Uncultured YouTube channel and the show notes. And to check our show notes for the Listener's Guide to X-Ray Vision, where we provide uh, details on all the stuff we talk about. We help you figure out and identify what all those references are that we that we make all throughout the episode. Catch the next episode on June 10th, where we'll be diving into Miss Marvel and, of course, more Obi-Wan Kenobi. Don't forget, we want the five-star ratings. Give us those five-star ratings. Rate and review us. X-Ray Vision is a crooked media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dylan Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. 
See you next time. Bye-bye. Hey, Mike. This is Dr. Marine. I want to talk about the Inquisitors here today, Mike. Listen, I know the Inquisitors, they've run up an incredible score, Mike. Uh, they, they've been the winning team, part of a winning franchise for almost a decade by the time we meet them at Obi-Wan Kenobi, Mike. But I got to tell you, Mike, that's the regular season, Mike. Those are the no-name Jedi. No disrespect to them, but that's the no-name Jedi, the no-name Padawan, the Force-sensitive kids. Those were the easy ones to pick up, Mike. You know, the clones did most of the heavy lifting in the early days, Order 66. Now we're in the, you know, to, to use a sports metaphor, Mike, we're in the postseason now. It's the playoffs now, Mike. And this is the this is Kanan Jarrus. This is Cal Kestis. This is Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I got to say, Mike, the, the, the Inquisitors... They're not up to the task, Mike, and it's about that chemistry, Mike. They're they're arguing amongst themselves. They're stabbing each other. That locker room is a mess. Coach Vader has been has been coaching from afar. Palpatine put this team together, and I'm not sure he did it in the right way. Vader needs to come off the injured reserve, and he needs to coach this team, Mike. And now he's doing it. And maybe we'll see something turn around, but I don't know if it's gonna happen. I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you, Mike. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.